For part two of this episode, please visit IHateLoveRemakes.com. I actually read, in preparation for this, two unproduced scripts from earlier remake attempts. Poor Noel. In the mid-70s, the original Godzilla franchise kind of fizzled to an end, and it took a couple years to kind of build interest in bringing him back, but nobody could quite agree on what approach to take, and it didn't help that the Japanese film industry was kind of suffering through a bit of a lull at the moment. In 1983, a young director named Steve Miner visited Japan and talked Toho into letting him develop a big-budget U.S. version that he could shop around the studios. He brought in Fred Decker, a fresh-out-of-film school screenwriter, penned the script, put together an art department led by award-winning illustrator William Stout, and started making the studio rounds. Now, in this story, we open on a completely random asteroid just as it plows into a defense satellite, which activates one of its nuclear missiles, which starts heading towards Russia. The U.S. freaks out, but are able to shoot it down with a ballistic missile and it explodes under the waters of the Pacific Ocean. Over the next week, things start to happen. The crew of a Russian submarine are killed when they come under attack. Giant footprints carve a path of destruction through a Polynesian village. A fishing trawler is nearly pulled under before they can cut their nets. An offshore oil rig is melted down by nuclear flame. But then, in a twist, the corpse of a giant reptilian animal washes up on the western shores of Mexico. No, this isn't Godzilla. It's Godzilla's baby, which was killed by the nuclear explosion. So when the baby's body is shipped up to California, the big G naturally appears and starts ripping through LA. Godzilla is pissed! The big problem with this script is that so little of it is about Godzilla. When the bomb goes off, the Russian subs go in to investigate, and when they go silent, agents from both sides show up. We know the Russians are evil because the first time we see them, they're slaughtering the crew of a Mexican fishing boat for no reason that's ever explained. Do they also have the uh, twirly mustaches? No, but their leader is shown to be a badass because he has an artificial hand with a Wolverine-style retractable spear blade in it. Oh, awesome! And then our hero, Daxton, is a gristled middle-aged war vet who wears an eye patch. Yeah! And his team manages to get to the sub first and recovers missiles with these weird prototype warheads. This, of course, starts a big back and forth between U.S. and Russia to try to get control of the warheads. And, of course, it turns out that those warheads are, are needed in order to stop Godzilla. Of course! But then it gets really dicey when Daxton's teenage son is kidnapped by the Russians. Ah, teenagers which leads us into a subplot with an annoying kid who has his own annoying animal sidekick uh, who is a pet iguana named Rover. This kid can't name animals, can he? And everywhere this kid goes, even when the kid gets kidnapped by the Russians, he still has Rover with him. And of course, though, it turns out that the kid is teased at school for wanting to be a magician, but this allows him to escape from ropes. So he keeps making havoc with the Russians and he ends up shooting one of them with a flare and punches another one in the nuts. And, and of course, it's, you know, annoying I hate kid, him right? already. Yes. I want him to die. Exactly. And of course, it's through his kinship with the animal Rover that Godzilla actually forms a bond with the kid. And the kid uses this bond to distract Godzilla while everyone shoots him down in the end. <gasps> kid's a little prick oh but he's crying at the moment but i mean what's nice about this script is that it does not shy away from destruction this is a script where godzilla is vicious and the entire western seaboard is pretty much irradiated because of godzilla's presence and he just slaughters people left and right and it's kind of an odd tone for the script because it, at sometimes it's really cartoony and colorful and at times it's really brutal and serious yeah that sounds weird i don't like it 
Fred Decker, the guy who wrote it, he went on to write and direct Monster Squad, which is kind of similar in that it has this really odd tone. And yet it kind of worked. Remember when he punches the Wolfman in the balls? Yeah. Wolfman's got nards. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. That's all anyone remembers from that. But wait, there's more. There's a romantic triangle. Oh, dear God. I want to die. Daxton has an ex-wife named Leslie who still loves him but left him because he keeps putting his life in danger as a soldier. And she's currently dating a paleobiologist by the name of, of I don't know if it's Ballinger or Ballinger, but I'm, I'm going to say Ballinger, who, of course, is brought in on the mission when it's learned that Godzilla is one of his theorized protosaurs, a kind of hybrid between sea animals and land animals, which is actually kind of similar to what they had in the original movie. Yeah, so that's cool. But he also has it that the Godzilla has a natural nuclear reactor, which was how animals used to live back then. No, they didn't. Exactly. And wait, there's a further second romantic triangle in this movie. This movie sucks. I want to kill it. When Kevin the kid gets kidnapped, Leslie starts rebonding with her husband, and Ballinger is left to then kind of fall for a plucky journalist named Dana, who herself is also making googly eyes with a guy named Tony, who worked on a fishing boat that was attacked in the beginning and also turns out to be a handy former Vietnam helicopter pilot. And yes, there's at least two scenes in this script where somebody says, we have a helicopter now, if only we knew someone who could fly it. Cut to Tony. Is there also a bump on a log and the man and the (laughs) the hole in the bottom (laughs) of the sea? Oh, God. This script is cluttered. There's so many characters and so much going on. Are you sure Stephanie Meyer didn't write it? And so much of Godzilla is just pushed into the background. That is the big problem with this script is while it handles Godzilla well, there's not enough of him. And it's basically this espionage plot. And to be honest, you could cut out everything that featured Godzilla and you would still have a complete story. And that really doesn't make it a good Godzilla movie. Exactly. And yet it's still not a bad script. It's actually a really fun script to read. It's just it's cluttered and it's not properly focused. Now, from what I heard, this actually did go through a few different drafts. And I have read a synopsis of one that sounds a little different where the character of the ex-wife and the character of the helicopter pilot are missing. So there's no romantic triangle and they'd streamlined the whole espionage plot. And, And so apparently it did go through some further development. And then it never got made. Here's the problem. The reason the film didn't get made is because Steve Miner was in charge. Steve Miner is not a bad director. He's basically done TV movies, a lot of low-budget films. He actually did the film Lake Placid, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a big gator. The problem with Steve Miner is that at this time, he only had two previous films. Friday the 13th Part 2. And Friday the 13th 3D. Oh, dear God. And here he was trying to put together, get the backing for a gigantic, big-budget studio production. He was talking about, I want to get Rick Baker to do the creature. I want to try to get ILM to do the effects. And he even wanted to film it in 3D. I loathe him right now. And no studio wanted to touch it. He went from studio to studio and they're like, dude, are you stoned? Yeah. I mean, and then he, that's where the subsequent drafts came as he tried to chip it down and, and try to make it more streamlined and get the budget down. And he quickly dropped the whole 3D angle. And of course, we're talking 1980s 3D, which is really bad. Yeah. And unfortunately, the final nail in the coffin was when Japan decided to go ahead and do their own reboot, uh, The Return of Godzilla, which instead of being a remake was actually, it kind of pushed all the other sequels off the table and just did a direct sequel to the original. And basically the studios in America said, well, we can just dub this and release it in theaters. We don't have to make a big budget version. And of course they came in and inserted new footage of Raymond Burr. (laughs) That's right. That was the other one that he was in. 
Yeah, which will never get released on DVD because the rights are so tied up. So anyone who wants to watch that movie, it's been released here as Godzilla 1985. They have to go and get it on video. Oh, well, thank goodness that won't ever happen then. Dodge the bullet, people. Dodge the bullet. To be honest, Steve Miner isn't a bad director. He's never made a big budget movie. He's never been given the chance to, and I would have been curious to see what he would have done with it. And Fred Decker is, I like Fred Decker. He writes good scripts. He wrote that, he wrote Monster Squad, which was one of the best scripts I've ever read. He had a great Johnny Quest unproduced screenplay that he was trying to do in the 90s that was really good. I like him. He's a good writer. I thought it was a fun script. It needed work, but from the sounds of it, it actually did get through that refining that it needed to go through. And I just unfortunately didn't have that specific draft. Yeah, or it just continued to suck. The next one is when TriStar first licensed it in the early 90s. Is this Godzilla 94? No, this is what became the eventual filmed version. Ugh. Uh, hang on, though. When TriStar first got their license through it, they went through a few different writers. They went through Clive Barker at one point, who wanted to do a really dark, twisted radiation mutation version, which probably have been really awesome and David Lynchian and no studio would touch it. Yeah, but I would have watched the shit out of that movie. Absolutely. So what they ended up settling on were a pair of writers named Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. I know of them who at the time had written Aladdin and Mask of Zorro and have since gone on to write Shrek and the entire Pirates of the Caribbean series. They are two of my favorite writers of all time. Here's what their script was, and I have no idea if this is going to make any sense, but this is the backstory. Basically, there's an alien race that sends probes out to habitable worlds. The probes will absorb all local wildlife, creating a giant creature that will ravage the planet until everything has been destroyed, and then the aliens can come in and make it their own. Hold on, I have to go get really, really stoned for this to actually make sense. (laughs) Yes, and in the way, way long ago days, there was an ancient advanced civilization known as the People Before People. (gasps) Was Luke Skywalker one of them? Who manipulated biology the way we do technology. When their society was nearly wiped out by the probe monster, they used a similar technology to give our world a guardian in the form of Godzilla, who lies dormant in the South Pole until an alien probe comes and lands, which is exactly what happens in the beginning of this story. (laughs) Probe. Yeah, it's it's quite a setup, isn't it? I need to be really stoned for that to even seem plausible. That's not even the setup. That's the backstory that we learn over the course of the movie. Our plot is about a very married couple of government scientists called Keith and Jill Llewellyn who supervise a group examining the recently discovered and still dormant Godzilla. When a new alien probe quietly lands in Utah, Godzilla wakes up and disappears into the sea, but in the path of destruction, Dr. Keith Llewellyn gets killed and Jill suddenly finds herself single and having to raise a rebellious teenage daughter who's angry that her dad is dead. So cut to a year later, the probe has been quietly building its creature in the Utah desert, and Jill has been leading the hunt to try to find and kill Godzilla while also still dealing with her daughter. Joining the team is a guy named Aaron Vaught, who's the author of a best-selling pseudoscientific book that postulates that all the dragons of legend were actually one real creature. And then when Godzilla finally shows up again, he makes landfall at San Francisco. But before he can really do any destruction, everyone has figured out a way to tranquilize him so the U.S. Army actually puts Godzilla to sleep and captures him. Did they read Twilight to him? No, it's actually when he was lying dormant in the South Pole, he was encased in this gel that's kind of like amniotic fluid. So they basically just take that gel and start spraying him, much like the Ghostbusters did with the goop in the Statue of Liberty. Oh, did they play music after? (laughs) 
No. Aww. But anyways, he goes to sleep. Then the giant creature that's being assembled in the desert turns out to be a giant griffin, you know, like body of a lion, wings of a bat and yep. everything, and starts to go on a rampage. And everyone realizes that the only thing they might be able to use to stop it is Godzilla. And in fact, that stopping it is his one natural purpose in life. And that the path of destruction he was leaving was actually him heading to kill the creature. So they decide, let's cut Godzilla loose. He goes, fights the creature. He actually uses the plates on the big spiny plates on the back of him to cut the creature in half before he kills it. And then the people let him go as he marches off into the sunset to go back to sleep in the South Pole. Because he needs a nap. That's the plot of this movie. Weak. It's convoluted as hell, and they really overthought the origin of Godzilla into this weird, nonsensical thing. Yeah, and it's weak as fucking shit. What the hell? That said, it is a fantastic script to read. I bet, but as a movie... Yeah, they they really needed to rethink the plotting of this thing, but it moves, it's exciting, it's actually really smart and snappy, the characters are really distinct and exciting. I actually love the fact that it opens with this great married couple and then kills half of it, and thus we have the female scientist who's on her Moby Dick quest of vengeance against Godzilla, but then has to come to the growing realization that no, Godzilla exists for a purpose, you just got in the way of that purpose and you need to let him do what he has to do. Does the book guy die too? No, he's actually a main character. Aww. And what I love is that unlike Nick, he has all, he, he's like completely on the right track and nobody believes him. Nobody wants to listen to this crazy crackpot, even though it kind of turns out that he's completely right. You after. know, he's doing the I'm right dance after it all turns out that it's true. Exactly. He's like, exactly. I'm right, I'm right. She gets. Oh, he gloats, he gloats. He gets his gloating in over the course of the film. As he, I believe he should. If you're right about something like that, you get to gloat until you can gloat no more. So here's what happened to this movie. They got this script and they started shopping around for directors. Nobody in Hollywood really wanted to touch this movie unless they got paid a lot of money. Joe Dante passed on it. Tim Burton took a look at it and passed on it. James Cameron passed on it. Roland Emmerich, who had just directed Stargate, passed on it. Yes, let that soak in. Roland Emmerich actually passed on this movie initially. Well, because, you know, he was riding high from the suck factor that was Stargate. Stargate was a huge hit. Yeah, but... It's not about whether or not it was good. It was about whether or not it was a hit. So then the one director that they managed to get, who actually decided to do it because he really wanted to do it and was an old fan of Godzilla, was Jan de Bont, who had just had a huge hit with Speed. Uh, remember Speed too? Yeah, no one does. Yeah, and he directed that too. Uh... <laughs> So anyways, Jan de Bont, working with the Telly and Terry script, actually, this film almost got off the ground. And Stan Winston Studios was doing the designs for the creatures. They were scouting locations. They were casting. They were actually had gotten a few locations already booked. And the big problem, though, was that Jan de Bont wanted to do the creature almost entirely CGI. And the studio said no, because that will cost too much. Which is ironic, because when they finally made the film, the creature is almost entirely CGI. I know! But it was four years later, mind you, so... You know, the 90s was a time when digital effects were changing very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And the cost benefits of doing it. So anyways, it got to the point where it got to a big, big disagreement, the budget got out of control, so he left. And they actually did try to keep this going a little bit longer. They even had David Fincher looking at it at one point, and he actually did some revisions on the script himself. But he was starting to see that this was probably going to end up like Alien 3 did, and he didn't want to go near it after that. So then what happened was Independence Day came out and was a big hit. They had this property. They were going to lose the rights to the property if they didn't get it made. So they come begging Roland Emmerich, please, come on, take it back. We'll give you complete creative control. Oh, dear God. And we'll pay you a lot of money. Just get this film made. And that's 
that's pretty much how the final film ended up. It was a last act of desperation. Yeah, you know what I suddenly, my mind suddenly flashed to? What? You remember the music at the end of The Omen? Yes. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly what I just heard in my head. I hate you so much, Roland Emmerich. Did you have any thoughts about either of these two remake scripts? Do either one of them sound like movies that you would want to watch? Maybe the first one, or no, the, sorry, the second one, if they stop fucking around with the whole backstory of Godzilla. You know, what's surprising about that movie is that out of all the scripts that have been written, that one actually feels like a Godzilla movie. Godzilla feels like Godzilla, the way it involves aliens and another monster. That feels like classic Godzilla movie. It's just that it took the entire nuclear element out of his backstory. Yeah. Other than that, it actually probably comes the best at capturing what Godzilla felt like. Whereas the 80s version probably captured the darker aspects better, but was very uneven. Yeah. So anyways, we should probably take a moment to mention that they're actually working on another new Godzilla movie. No! Which is supposedly going to come out around 2012, and the director is going to be Gareth Edwards, who directed this indie film called Monsters, which I have not seen, but it sounds like an interesting film, and I've, I've heard mixed things. Some people like it, some don't. You haven't seen it yet, have you, Evie? No, I read the plot synopsis, though, and I'm like, eh. It could be interesting. Yeah, I could also end up falling asleep on my couch while watching it. I don't know enough about what they're doing for this film to really say anything about it, but I will tell people that once this film comes out, and we'll wait for it to hit DVD, if it does get made, we will be doing a supplementary episode doing a review for it. My cup runneth over with joy. We're not going to go back and re-review the earlier two Oh dear God, no, you can't make me. I will fight you to the death. we'll just do, we'll do like episode 3.1. Yeah. (laughs) Episode 3A. There we go. It'll be supplementary. Yes, so that we'll have an entire alphabet for all the other Godzilla remakes they'll do over the decades. But hopefully by then, they'll, this show will have spin off and gotten new hosts. One can only hope. My cats can host it. Meow, 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 meow. So I think this brings us to the end, finally, of our Godzilla episode. Godzilla! I think we can all agree that that was a lot of fish. That really, really was a lot of fish. Did you see the fish? There was a lot of it. So do you want to tell us what we're going to be doing next month? Because I know these are films that you actually enjoy. Yeah, we're going to be doing Love Affair, which was remade as An Affair to Remember and remade again in what, 94, I think, Yep. as Love Affair. It's going to be our first double remake episode all the way. I think this is going to be it. This was our Godzilla episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Tune in again. Good night, Evie. That's a lot of fish. If you enjoyed this episode, please check us out at www.ihateloveremakes.com. We've left the comment sections open, so please let us know what you think about the films we've discussed. Speaking of which, I Hate Slash Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. I Hate Slash Love Remakes is a made-of-fail production.